Hi, friends. Welcome to our podcast, Happily Together. We're your hosts. I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And can we just say that we are so glad you are here. Oh, it's a good day to be alive. I count my blessings and keep them all at my side. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happily Together. If you're new here, uh, this is a podcast where Kara and I talk about the conversations that we're having and the questions that we are asking that are helping us continue to live a life happily together. Because we all want to do that. We all want to live a, a little more happily together. Yeah. We do. Sometimes that means living happily alone. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes so, that means asking really hard questions, going through really painful things. Yeah. But it's all shaping us. <laughs> <laughs> we are excited about today's conversation um, because, like I just mentioned, I think a part of living happily together um, sometimes means that begins. or sometimes begins when a relationship uh, that you had high hopes for mm. or a relationship that you invested heavily into, it just doesn't turn out the way that you expect. Yeah. Um, and there comes a time and what we talk about on this conversation uh, there comes a time when you move from mending the relationship to ending the relationship. Yeah, we're talking about divorce today with a divorce coach, Karen McMahon. And she is so lovely. She's working with people who are navigating the very messy territory of divorce. And she is helping them do it consciously. Yeah. And in a way that's emotionally is, honest. Mm -hmm, in an emotionally honest Living way. Living an emotionally honest life. And in a way that really empowers them to take ownership of their lives and uh, to 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 write their own story of what's happening. Oftentimes, um, I know I mean I've never been divorced before, but you know, it's the ending that's so hard. Like you're yeah. grieving the loss of all of the dreams, the loss of yeah. what could have been, you and know, what your hopes were. There's so, so much to navigate. And I feel like Karen did such a beautiful job at really just explaining this process yeah, um, and how to do it with intentionality and how to do it awareness so that mm -hmm. you allow this season of deep pain to be a transformational one mm -hmm. um, so that you really, on the other side, you don't just rinse and repeat the same relationship with another partner. Absolutely. She speaks a lot to how can we uh, go through one of the most painful transitions but do it in a way that really is um, is empowering. Yeah. Uh, we will say that Karen's dog uh, <laughs> decided to make a grand entrance. At the end. Uh, and this is the most adorable dog. I see a picture on uh, Karen's one page of the, of the puppy. And so I can't be mad about it. But at the end, Karen's dog decided to make a grand entrance. So He was just agreeing with everything was, we were saying. Yeah, he was agreeing <laughs> with everything that we were saying. But uh, Karen McMahon is a certified relationship and divorce coach. And she's the founder of the Journey Beyond Divorce. Karen leads a team of divorce coaches and supporting men and women around the world to become calm, clear, and confident as they navigate divorce. Absolutely. What I love too is in the link or in the description to this podcast, um, Karen offers actually a free one-hour coaching session. Mm -hmm. It's called a Rapid Relief Coaching Session. It's free, no strings attached, and you can learn more about that at rapidrelief.com. Again, all of Karen's information, including where you can access this free one-hour coaching session, um, is in the description to this podcast. Let's go ahead and jump into what Karen has to say. All right. Uh, Karen, we just want to say, first off, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, 
before we pushed record, you said so many nice things about us. <laughs> we should have been recording I know. That. I'm like, man, can we go back and just kind of talk about how great we are doing? I know. Karen was like our affirmation station. I know. I feel like so uh, expansive now after just yeah, and I, a few seconds I'm with Karen. Happy, I'm happy to say that, you know, I, I do a lot of these. I do a lot of interviews and I always make a point of listening to as many episodes as I can. And I love that. You guys have this beautiful energy mm. more than that like the 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 mindset that you have the the invitation that you offer people to um to own their stuff mm. to go deep the the conversations between the two of you it's just as a divorce coach and someone who is working with people where it broke what you're doing is vitally important to help lower the divorce rate for mm. first marriages. Mm. Like the Thank more you. people who listen to what you have to say um, and and really tune into themselves, it's going to make such a big difference. And I'm just really impressed, a big fan. Kudos to you guys. Thank really. you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. We're so glad to have you here. We are. Um, so our podcast, obviously, Happily Together, um, you know, the conversations that we're having, the questions that we're asking that are really just helping us be intentional on doing our own work, owning our own stuff um, and leaning into our relationship in an intentional way with awareness so that we can continue to live happily together. Mm. But I also know that sometimes, you know, living happily together doesn't necessarily mean together in the traditional sense of a, a marriage, but there's co-parenting, there's friendships after breakups or after divorces. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of happily co- together with yourself, happily together with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was thinking about that the other day. We need to do like, we have a happily together course coming soon, but we should do happily alone. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a prerequisite to being happily together, maybe. Maybe. Um, but I, I love having conversations with uh, people like you and the work that you're doing because I find that it is wildly important, especially going through a breakup with intention, with awareness, I mean, really creating the space to heal mm. so that you're not carrying that pain, you're not carrying that, that experience, that energy, maybe into the next relationship. Mm. Um, can you maybe just talk a little bit about what you do and why this work is so important? Yeah, yeah. And I would even use the word dis-ease mm. into the next relationship. Yeah. There you go. Um, and so so I um, I married kind of late. I was 34 when I married. And I really thought I knew what I wanted and what I didn't want. And uh, seven years into my relationship, my marriage with two very young children, it was clear that it was just a high conflict marriage. And it mm. was um, it was not going well and multiple marriage counselors and what have you. And so I went through what was the hardest time of my life. And I was a child of divorce too. So I absolutely was adamant that I would never put my kids through this. Mm. And yet the choices were such that it was the better, it was the lesser of the two evils. I went through a three and a half year, very difficult divorce. And when I emerged on the other side, I was truly so much of a better version of mm. myself. Wow. And I, I give the credit to an incredible therapist. Um, I found a 12 step program. I'm a huge, huge fan of the 12 step programs, uh, which is all about keeping the focus on yourself, which is what journey beyond divorce is all about. And so when I emerged, I was so much of a, 
uh, a better, in my opinion, better version of myself, better parent, better individual, that um, I had been selling commercial printing. And I was like, well, there just has to be something more important for me to do in this world than sell ink on paper. Um, <laughs> and I slowly found my way to coaching, which is, as you guys know, coaching is all about transition, helping people get from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah. Divorce is one of the most devastating transitions. And I was like, okay, well, I know what God created me to do. So mm. let me go do it. Wow. That's beautiful. That's amazing. I'm curious for you and your story, um, getting married at 34 and, and thinking this is it. This is the, this is the marriage. How, how was that grieving process for you? Cause I imagine seven years later getting to the place of this actually isn't what I, I thought I signed up for. Tell me a little bit about the grieving process of that. You know, going through divorce, people grieve all different ways. And for those of us who choose to leave, it's a very long, slow grieving process. Mm -hmm. It's noticing the loss of the dream, mm. fighting for it, mm. noticing it's not going well, fighting for it again. And so I would say that my heartbreak, my shame, my guilt, my fear, my anger, my bargaining and bargaining and bargaining happened over the course of, uh, I mean, my daughter was probably one when it started. I have an incident when my daughter was two, one physical incident in our marriage that for me was the turning point. Mm. I saw the ugliness of myself, like I saw the worst characteristics of myself. Um, and that was the beginning of me reaching out for therapeutic support and knowing that this had really gone sideways. And um, at first I could, you know, wax on about all of his shortcomings and his problems, but I was fairly um, quick at shifting and just saying, well, what did I bring to the table? And, mm. and how did this go so wrong? And, um, and it's interesting how, and this is one of the things I talk so much about with people, is how our first intimate relationship with our mom, yeah. dad, and siblings inform mm -hmm. on a subconscious level mm -hmm. what we look for in love, mm -hmm. because that's our love relationships. And so I would say I married um, the lesser side of my mom and dad, mixed together and he had some amazing beautiful qualities but the things that caused tremendous rubs were so similar to the things that i grew up with mm. wow yeah. um so i, I want to talk about that because i think what you're hinting at or what you're kind of saying is the whole idea of attachment theory um and i also can really relate to that how love was modeled to me was very much the love that i went to seek out and it was basically reinventing the love that I did not receive as a child in my adult relationships so that I could begin to experience, but I did it in such an unhealthy way. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think even naming that we, most of us probably do that very unconsciously. unconsciously. We do it without the awareness that we're doing it. And so yeah. we end up in these patterns or these cycles. I just hijacked. But no, no, you're fine. Um, take me back to like your relationship because obviously, well, not maybe not obviously, but I want to assume and correct me if I'm wrong, that you got married and you were in love, you were happy, you were excited about the future. Um, it did I, come with dreams. It came hopes. with dreams and hopes mm -hmm. and you probably were celebrating oh that. Mm -hmm. uh, so like what, what was the moment that kind of changed things? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, let's just start there. I have other questions, but I want to see how you answer this. What was the moment, like, how did it begin to kind of slip away? Mm. Yeah, so, you know, I just want to say up front, there are high-conflict personalities, yes. and I married a high-conflict person. Can you explain what that is? And, yeah. And I, yeah, and I didn't understand it. So in today's day and age, everyone's throwing around narcissists, yes. right? And so, of course, we all have narcissistic tendencies, mm. and it's where you are in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's borderline personality, and then there's OCD, and I've learned a lot. So people you know, it's not their fault. They don't want to be born with these mental health issues. And then a high conflict personality is somebody who is less able. I like to call it a blind spot. Like Mm -hmm. a narcissist has almost a 365 degree blind spot, a true narcissist. They, there is no mirror for them to look into. It's always your fault. It's always black and white thinking. It's always revisionist history. It's always, um, melodrama um and so so that's one personality but a high conflict personality is someone who could never have the kind of conversations the two of you are having and so one of the early things that i recall and crazy in love good looking guy charismatic (laughs) you know we had a lot of fun there were a couple of key things my my ex-husband would always um I was in sales. He would spend next month's commissions last month. So um, we had a money money issue too, which was very, as you know, could be a very fundamental problem. But the bigger issue was um, he had he had reactivity. So we had a my son. We used to call him a weeble. It was like he was constantly falling and bouncing up, and he was a big burly little boy. <laughs> and he would like fall into. Um, basement window wells he actually did three times time here you concern this kid this like toddlers falling into these big thick my ex would turn around start screaming and yelling at me Mm. and all the neighbors would be like what and so it was one of the many things that it just became clear that the way he would handle his fear or upset was to attack me mm. and and it just it just started happening more and more and then of course I was a full-time working mom and so there's a little bit less sex there's a little bit less money there's a little bit less energy and it all just came with conflict and blame and accusation yeah. and I was a hot mess so I was just like we were throwing emotional grenades across mm. the room mm. way too early in our relationship and um and then after going to a couple of marriage counselors and talking to my own therapist, um, what what happens in high conflict relationships, especially if you're open-minded, is you start self-doubting yourself because they're 100%, 1,000% certain that what they're saying is right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you're like, I'm open-minded. Let me look at myself. Maybe I am a bad person. Maybe I did do that wrong. And so, so mm. many people in high conflict marriages lose themselves and you start hearing his or her voice and his or her criticism and his or her emotional reactions before you even tune into your own. And now you're lost. You're completely lost. So by the time, disorienting. by the time I reached out to my therapist, the second time her words to me were, you are a shell of the woman I met a couple of years ago. Mm. And I thought I was a shell of myself the first time I met her. Mm. So I just, I personally, and this is part of my story and my journey. I was a hot mess. I got deeply lost. Um, and, and it was, 
a painful and yet brilliant journey back to myself. Mm. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I know that there are probably people listening right now. And when you are putting language to their experience, especially like you're saying, oh, there is something out there called high conflict personality. Mm-hmm. I, I love, I've had moments in my life where I'm working through something and it's just like, this just chaotic mess. And then somebody comes around and says, Oh, I know what that is. Mm -hmm. And they label it. And then suddenly it kind of compartmentalizes this challenges that I'm going through. And now I can move forward. I can kind of see I can see Mm -hmm. what's actually happening because I better understand where I'm at. And I I think that you just put probably I think people know that they're in a turmoil and chaos every single day, obviously, Mm -hmm. because they're experiencing it. But now there's an actual reason why we can experience it or why they're experiencing it with that high conflict personality. And I guess what I would love to talk about is for people who are in the middle of that relationship, Mm -hmm. that high conflict personality, and they are throwing their own emotional grenades across the room. Um, uh, what, how do we begin to work through that in a healthy way? Obviously I think there are people in the midst of that and they want to maybe stay in their marriage. They want to save their marriage. They want to work through this. Um, so how, what kind of advice are we going to give or would you be giving them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And the opportunity in being in a relationship, whether it's your parent, your boss, your spouse, when you're in relationship with a high conflict personality, every crisis has an opportunity. The opportunity is that you have it's a fertile field for working on your own reactivity mm. um, and your own and you know button pushing, right? And so, if you're in that relationship, to be able to step back, you'll be crystal clear about what he or she is doing that triggers you. That's when you focus on that, you lose the prize because the prize is what's the button that they're pushing? Is it my disrespect button? Is it my insecurity button? Is my, it is, is it my judgmental or my unforgiveness button? And so while, so it's a two-step dance. The first thing is stop throwing emotional things. Like give yourself a timeout anytime you need step away, go in the bathroom, close the door, count to 10, count to a hundred. The key is to regulate yourself so that you can show up differently. Because I will tell you that most of us who are in high conflict marriages, the spouse of the high conflict personality looks like a lunatic. Yes. We're frothing at the mouth. We're screaming. We're yelling. We're reacting. We look, we look like (laughs) a mentally unwell person. And that's not going to serve you, whether you're raising kids, you want to mend your marriage, you're going to end your marriage, learning how to taking this as an opportunity to see what what are my wounds and my shortcomings that I need to heal and refine, Mm. because the person you're with right now is the best person to do that work with. And then you'll know, because if you start healing and refining, and we could talk about what that looks like. Mm you're going to get really clear on, is it mending or ending? Yeah. And Mm. either way, you're going to be further down the path. You're going to be further down your um, self-growth path. And that is a huge gift. Yeah. I love that. Wait, is it mending or is it ending? Is it mending That's beautiful. That's the title of this podcast. Is it mending or is (laughs) Is it ending? Is it mending or ending? That's great. Karen, I'm really curious um, because you just identified in yourself that you in the marriage were someone who was willing to to say, what's going on in me? Is this about me? Is this my stuff? And 
I feel like what I hear in, in that is that you were willing to do the work, right? You were willing to say, to do the therapy, to do the, to, to do the digging up of attachment, codependency, et cetera. What mm. do you say to someone who is in your position and, and their partner in contrast isn't willing, just doesn't want to yeah. do the work, doesn't want to look at themselves, doesn't, doesn't have the capacity maybe even to, to be self-reflective and, and do the work to potentially heal yeah, and I guess like to, to continue on that question, exactly what you just said, like how do you know we just went from mending to ending? Yeah, right, right. So my pastor had once said, um, <laughs> it takes one to forgive, two to reconcile. Mm. And it just hit me right here. Okay. And I was like, because many of us who are in these high conflict relationships, it's like, I give 200%. Okay, that's your first red flag. <laughs> You're not yeah. supposed to give 200, but yeah. you're supposed to give 100. He or she's supposed to give 100. And so, and so um, if you're the only one working on reconciling, um, the lesson that I have no control over another human being. Okay, you're pregnant. We have control over <laughs> human beings until maybe about 13, 14 years old, if we're lucky. Like we don't control other human beings. Mm. And so that's why I say, people reach out to me and say, my spouse wants a divorce. I need to hire a divorce coach. And my first question is, do you want one? Yeah. And if you don't, why don't you hire me to work on mending? Yeah. We're only going to work you and me. What he or she does is going to be very informative and telling. Mm. And so, and to your point, um, Caleb, if you're married to somebody, um, certainly on the narcissistic spectrum, then there's no talk therapy or medication at, that they know of to this point that can heal that, yeah. which is heartbreaking. Yeah. And so I would say two things. Number one, as displeasing as the personality is find compassion in your heart for the fact that he or she didn't ask to be born this way there's nothing available for them to change and they do have a 365 degree blind spot now your narcissist may be very low on the spectrum and you may be like you know what i love my life i love him or her we brought in children this is okay i can work with this then just be healthy about it be really really healthy about it and don't go to the hardware store for bread mm. that person is not going to be able to fill all of your emotional needs make sure you have a support network that fills it mm. don't go to the hardware store for bread mm. we just did a, a podcast i love that all the things we wish we would have known before uh you had gotten married. And one of the, one of the things that somebody said was how to identify a narcissist because she had gotten into a relationship and a marriage and had no idea what narcissism was or what it looked like. And it unfortunately unraveled and was really painful. But yeah. I think what you're saying is that, uh, there is potential if you are in that to allow it to be a teacher, to allow it to, to, to mirror back to you. And I just want to make a clear, like, and I, I would love for you to speak on this. We're not advocating that you stay in a relationship, especially if it has turned into some sort of mental, verbal, no, or physical abuse, no. just to <laughs> keep it as a teacher. Yeah. You know, because I've walked that line in my own life where I'm like, I know this relationship is my biggest teacher, mm. right? And yeah. it's complete hell on earth. And yeah. there is actual verbal and gaslight, verbal assault and gaslighting and yeah, abuse, assault, abuse that's happening. And I stayed in it. 
And I just ate that shit every single day because I was telling myself, this is my greatest teacher. This is my greatest teacher. And then I wonder why I'm having literally panic attacks when I lay down next Mm -hmm. to this person. I Mm -hmm. felt so unsafe in my Mm -hmm. body. And no, unsafe in my life. So I just want to make sure not we advocate yeah, not advocating <laughs> and staying in something unhealthy. Yeah, and 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 I want to just tag on to that. D- divorce is not is not something that happens rapidly. So yes. if you're in a marriage, even the process of divorce, so whether you have to be under the same roof or you're living under separate roofs, the opportunity to because you're triggered regularly so the opportunity to be triggered and not have this knee-jerk reaction but to create some space and Mm. say okay where do i want to go with this person maybe we have have kids together so like it or not i'm co-parenting for the rest of my life like is my reaction moving me closer to where I want to yeah, be that's mm-hmm. further away? And often it's moving us further away. It's, it's, it's the shrapnel from the grenade, right? And it's like, so, so I agree with you. And specifically if there's physical abuse, yes. you know, get help, get yes. out. Um, the, the emotional stuff, if you've got kids, you've got to figure out how to navigate this. And I'll tell you why not only for yourself, but your children are going to have to navigate this difficult personality. And one of my favorite sayings is how you do something is how you do everything. everything. So the high conflict person that's verbally abusing you and berating you, he or she will do the same to your children at a certain point. You can't possibly teach them how to navigate this unless you first get clear and healthy enough yourself so that you can be a good co-parent or parallel parent as the case may be and be a really healthy support for your kids figuring mm. out their relationship with that parent. Mm-hmm. I love that. What what's the difference between a co-parent and a parallel parent? Yeah, it's so um uh there's a podcast I'm forgetting his name it's called High Conflict Co-Parenting and what it is is the term parallel parenting means um you'll hear everyone say, you know, it's important to be healthy co-parents. And that means that you have the same rules in both houses, mm. you communicate well, you you agree to the values that you're raising your kids, you're just doing it under separate roofs. You're not doing that with a high conflict personality. Give it up right now, it's not happening. And so you have to let go of the fact that, you know, mommy may be um, feeding the kids Fruit Loops, letting them sit in front of the TV and little Mary is going to school with nine hair and mismatched clothes the next day get over it you have no control so mm-hmm. you have your rules so in my house um i i was um my ex would call me draconian was his word because i had boundaries and rules mm-hmm. and at daddy's house it was like you know, whatever Anything went it was hard when the kids became teenagers they were over there smoking dope with all their friends and i was like I don't, I don't agree. Um, I would appreciate if you didn't, and I had no control. And so parallel parenting is saying, all right, I'm going to stay in my lane. And it, it means strong boundaries with communication, strong boundaries with rules. There's very few things that we're going to agree on. And if you're listening and you're early, early on, and you know that you have a high conflict personality, you get yourself an attorney who understands that so that you're divorce settlement is all buttoned up who's in charge of the medical decisions the educational decisions how are we dropping off and picking up so there's not opportunity for 
you know, grenades to be thrown. Like there's so much to come in that comes into parallel parenting. And if you create it in your settlement, it just allows you to live a more peaceful life post-divorce, mm. even though you're sharing children and, and both raising them. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's so good. I want to go back to something you said earlier because I, um, I, I use the same language, but from a different journey, you said that, uh, your, your divorce really allowed you to come back home to yourself, mm. to really walk this journey back home to yourself. And I, I think it's on your website where I read, um, where you talk about it, it is one of the most painful experiences of life, but it really is this experience where you have the opportunity to reinvent yourself. And I'm curious in your own journey, uh, what it looked like to come back home to, to, to walk that journey back home to yourself. And then, uh, if you could speak to this space of, possibility of reinventing of what's possible when something does break and crumble and fall apart and seemingly happens to be extremely painful but but how can we Hopeful. find the possibility in it yeah yeah and and so to the first question uh i um I was always successful. I was always successful at school, successful in sports, successful professionally. And I was always a hot mess in relationships. Mm. Uh, the guys, I, I mean, it just went south every time. Like I just, I really was attracted to unhealthy men um, and unhealthy boys. And so that was, my, but I had no, like, I never looked, mm. I never evaluated, I never reviewed. It was like, as they were the problem. Okay, let's leave them behind. And, and what did I do? And I say this to people, if you don't do the work through your divorce, you're going to find an, another man or woman. You're going to find the same man or woman yeah. wrapped in a different body and yep. you're going to rinse and repeat. Yeah, Like, that's what you're going to do. So that's what I did. And, and so I was very, you know, I was very focused on how successful I was professionally. And, and I felt really good about myself. And I thought, you know, I, I was in the printing industry. I was in, I was in a warehouse with like 70 men and me. And it was like, nobody gave me any, you know, any crap. And it was like, I was confident. I had a voice and then I'd walk through the front door of my house and I was, I was, a, I was a rug to be walked on and I was a mouse and I was, and, and I got lost. And so finding my way back, part of it was you feel a little schizophrenic. It's like, how could I be all that out in the world? And then like shame that this is happening to me behind closed doors. And so the journey of, understanding my family of origin of um truly leaning into a higher power and trusting that i didn't have control learning what a beautiful gift surrender is learning how if if i find what my values and my integrity is and i walk in that regardless of who or what happens i'm on the right path mm. and so that did it brought me back to like a new and improved version of myself. And I felt like I was a more present and conscious parent. Um, that was a huge thing. My mom had a heavy hand yeah. and I never wanted to lay hands on my kids. And I could feel my frustration, like teeming into my fingertips wow. and just learning to be conscious and calm myself. And, and how do I want to parent and what do I want to do about consequences? And so all of that was part of this journey. My children 
were four and six when I sat them down to tell them I was leaving daddy. I could cry today. Mm. I remember it like it was yesterday. I had asked my children in their late teens if they remembered, and I had my sunglasses on and my tears <laughs> would come down and they were like, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> and I'm like, it was the most devastating moment of your life. And, well, no, it wasn't. It was the most devastating yeah. moment of my life. Yeah. Um, so, so all of it was this journey to how do I be a really excellent, um, conscious parent? How do I engage in the world in a better way? How do I really um, take ownership of and let go of, of some of my personality traits that I would talk over people all the time? Like what I had to say was more important than what you had to say. I didn't even know it. Mm. So there was a lot of work that I did and I am a work in progress, like we all are, right? I'll I'll be working on myself until I'm six feet under, um, and it was it was it was such an incredible gift, mm. even though it was so devastating. And to your question, any crisis, your 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 business collapses, you find you have a health crisis, um, you know somebody that you love passes away, like all of the crises, we're going to have trials and tribulations. Yeah. The question is, what are we going to do with them? Mm -hmm. And what we do in divorce is say, when you go through a divorce with Journey Beyond Divorce, and you have such a robust toolbox, mm -hmm. and you are such a healthy individual, there is not a trial or tribulation that's going to cross your path that you're not going to be well equipped to deal with. And that's our desire. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love just hearing your story, too, because it's just really demonstrating the power that comes with personal responsibility. Mm. I remember when I was leaving the NFL, my life was as chaotic as you can imagine, uh, just drowning in self-hatred and substance abuse and just so confused because I'm supposed to be so happy because mm. I'm in this place. and I felt guilty for being so, uh, you know, for not being happy with everything that I had achieved and where I was in life and so on and so forth. And I remember just this, like looking back at my life, having kind of this helicopter macro view and seeing just all of the chaos, all of the turmoil and just how unhappy I was. And I remember my head hitting the pillow that night and just being like, there has to be another way. There has to be another way. There has to be another way. And I said that to myself over and over again. I remember waking up the next day and just realizing like none of this shit is going to change unless I change. Mm. And that was just a hard pill to swallow because you know, for so many years, I wanted to point the finger and place the blame. Like, mom, you did this to me. Dad, you weren't here for me. Mm -hmm. You know, football, you're the reason why I feel the way that I feel. And we can go through life and we really are. I think we know that that means that like, we're living life through a victim mentality. But God dang, like nothing is going to change mm -hmm. unless you are willing to do the work. Um, yeah. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I love like what's so powerful about coaching, I find is like you're creating a safe space. Like it's hard to do the work when bombs are dropping left and right because your nervous system never settles down. Like that, right. mm -hmm. that fight or flight or that freezes, you're living in it constantly. You mm -hmm. don't, you can't do the work necessarily in the confines until you are well-equipped enough to learn how to emotionally recenter when you are feeling activated. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would love to go into this conversation. If somebody is kind of realizing that we're moving away from mending and it's about to end, how can we best prepare ourselves? What can we do um, to help us walk through this ending 
with intention, with awareness, so that we can come out on the other side and not going to find ourselves just rinsing and repeating. Mm. Mm. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think that uh, oftentimes when you're at that space, you're in victim and conflict energy. Mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of work with seven levels of energy, the lowest victim, the second conflict. Mm. And so I want you to think of it this way. If you're in a building that has a dungeon and a basement, so it's a sub-basement, a basement, and then the first floor. Level three is the first floor. Level three is taking personal responsibility and finding forgiveness for you, the other person in the situation. That's level three. Level one, is victim what Mm. do we want to do when we feel like a victim crawl under the covers go back to sleep it's helpless it's hopeless when you are in victim energy your perspective of possibility and choices is like looking through a straw it's like imagine being in a dungeon in this little hole where you see the world and then even a basement you know those little casement windows Um, you, how much of the world do you see? So if you think about being in conflict energy, being in the basement, again, your ability to see possibility and choices mm. when you're in that energy is very low. There's only so much you could see. Your perspective is very short. Level seven is how you're going to feel, girlfriend, when you give birth to that baby. (laughs) Caleb, how you're going to feel. When that miracle hits you, I want you to remember my voice because that's (laughs) level seven. Your feet don't touch the ground. Nobody can tell you anything that's going to upset you. And when you look out, you've got a 365 (laughs) degree view of life's possibility and gorgeousness. That's level seven. It's beautiful. And so what I would say to your question, Caleb, is understand where you are and get the support so that you can levitate up to forgiveness, um, compassion, peace, and joy. Those are the energy levels you want to be in so that when you're navigating the divorce, you can access the part of your brain that sees and believes in possibility. Mm. Um, And if you stay in victim mode, you're going to access that um, terrible to triggered child inside yeah. and you're going to react from that place. Yeah. Um, there's a book I'm reading. I, I can't, I can't help but mention it. Yeah, um, it's called whole brain living. Mm. Uh, it's brilliant. I actually, my podcast this Friday is coming out with an interview. Her name is Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor. She has oh, she was, 37. She says the quote she, of, um, own the inner own your energy like when you walk into a room um she yeah she had that brain aneurysm or whatever she has that powerful yes. TED talk yeah yeah yeah, yeah. She, she had she had one of the first um viral TED, TED talks, talks yeah. now she just so she wrote the book my stroke of insight my mm. stroke of yes. insight very wise she just wrote whole brain living you guys should read it it yes. talks about how there's four characters in our brain and um And one of them is our terrible two toddler. And Mm. one of them is our very organized person. And one of them is that part of us that can connect to all consciousness. It's brilliant. She talks about a brain huddle where you like, who do you want to give the microphone to? Which are four characters. Brilliant, brilliant book. And so to, to your question, if you're heading toward ending on an emotional level, you want to really notice where you are with your emotional energy and get the kind of support to um, 
to teach you how to regulate, how to move up in, uh, in emotional energy to forgiveness and compassion and peace. And that people spend so much money on the attorney. And my <laughs> point is before you worry about investing in the attorney, mm. invest in somebody who's going to support you so that you don't hemorrhage all yeah. of your money with yes. the attorney because you're, you're doing court orders and all of this other stuff and just, and just fighting in court. You don't want to do that. So when you first emotionally regulate and get that kind of support, then you can partner with the right attorney and be really effective in level headedly negotiating a settlement that is fair for all people involved that's so good everything in life is going to be better when you're doing it emotionally grounded Mm. and present like Mm -hmm. it's just the way that things are i love that um the the seven energy levels is that a resource somewhere is it is it it's it's actually we're going to do a master class later in 2022 so i went to the institute for professional excellence in coaching as did all five coaches on my team mm. and it's it's a signature program that we learned through there um i do have a podcast on it that talks about all seven levels of energy and how i call it an elevator once you understand these seven yeah. levels yeah. you can be like ah and you go, I don't want to be like this. And you just, you just press the button. It's like, I have to do a couple of things and I could be up on level five in peace and acceptance. And yeah, yeah. there's a sense of agency that comes with it. Absolutely. Right. Like I love that agency piece with it. Yeah. I feel like the moment we're able to move out of victim and move up that, that energy spectrum, the more we, we feel the sense of power of our, of our own lives, the more we feel the sense of control and the ability to change our circumstances or do whatever it is which then restores that from like that sense of hopelessness to hopeful Mm -hmm. like there's that self-efficacy part Mm -hmm. and the key piece um from the coaching that we do is so many people want to change the way they feel and that's Mm -hmm. like the middle of the game you have to start with what's your perspective yeah if your perspective is oh my God, I'm going to be poor and lonely the rest of my life. And she's going to get the kids. And if, if that's the story you're telling yourself, you better believe you're going to be in conflict energy. So you start with what's the story I'm telling myself. Mm -hmm. And when you tell yourself a more encouraging story, both of them could be equally true or possible. um, Then you, then you raise your emotional energy. And so, so often people are like, I don't want to be angry. And it's, and it's, you you can't start, you can't just say you don't want to be angry. You have to understand the, what's triggering the anger and what's triggering the anger is the story. That's good. Yeah. So we really need to learn how to deploy self-awareness in our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it's like, I lived so reactionary for so many years of my life where, you know, I would be, I would find myself in these cycles where it's just like something happens. It triggers the story that I tell myself. It dictates my emotional or my current emotional state. And then from that state of unpleasantness, mm-hmm. I would find myself at a bar at 11 a.m. trying to. Hard times. <laughs> really hard times. But you know what? I found some good friends in that bar <laughs> that are no longer in my life, but <laughs> thankfully. Um, but I'm just saying because it's just like. Until I recognized, wait, what is a story that's driving all of this, this emotional response that's leading to the behavior that's creating my life? Mm -hmm. Like, 
So learning, and I was not self-aware, and I, I stress this so much because if you're not self-aware, it's okay. It is something you can absolutely learn and practice in your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We can't change our IQ, but we can change, change our, our EQ. EQ. Mm-hmm. And when you work on your emotional intelligence, they say that if you put two people side by side and one has like a super high IQ and the other one has a super high EQ, the EQ person is going to be more successful. Yeah. So eight good. days a week. Yeah. Eight days a week. That's so good. Um, I, I Sometimes I'm in conversations on the podcast and something like just hits my heart. And I think often that I might be just asking this question for that one person out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm wondering if when you were going through the ending, when you realized that this resolu- this, my relationship, my marriage was going to end, did you find yourself in maybe this, um, experience of self-hatred? How could I be so stupid? How did I miss this? I'm a failure. I'm embarrassed. I'm whatever it might be. And how did you begin to practice the self-compassion? What does self-compassion look like for you so that you could change that experience and move on? Yeah, such an important question. I think that helping our clients get from self-condemnation to Mm self-compassion is one of the most important journeys. And oftentimes we start with, you know, whose voice is that in your head? And the first one might be, it's my spouse's. Okay, So whose voice was in your head before your spouse? And chances are, um, oftentimes we were raised with a critic. Maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a parent. Um, We don't lick it off the grass. Uh, It comes from someplace. And so the first thing is to really understand that voice and is that your belief? I think the other thing, so number one is tracking it back to you know, why do you have these stories in your head about mm. how bad you are? Like, why, why, where did that critic come from? It didn't just appear. We weren't born with a self-critic. And then secondly, what is your ability to poke around at the story? Mm. So my favorite question is, how true is that? Yeah. So good. That's good. How true is that? And so for me, um, oh my God, I like... I saw my mom was a rageaholic. My dad was an alcoholic, a very jolly alcoholic. My mom was a rageaholic. My dad was my favorite of the two parents. Um, and, um, and I was a rageaholic and, um, and, I, I just had so much judgment and I, and oh my God, I was 34 when I got married and what is my freaking problem? I used to call myself an effing moron. Mm. That was my self-talk. My yeah. self-talk was you effing moron. Mm. And I was like, you are never, ever allowed to say that to yeah. yourself. And one of the key things that has settled with clients more than anything else is when they tell me what they say, I'm like, okay, now imagine saying that to your daughter. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Never. Never. Yep. Okay. So why don't we start reparenting you? Yeah. Why don't you reparent yourself and start having the same words that you give to these beautiful little people that you brought in? That is a game changer for yeah. most so people. Good. It's like, oh my God, I would never, ever. Okay. So then can we, can you have the ability to be really kind? Can we do this to yourself? Yeah. That's, that's a huge step to be able to be all of this work that you and I are talking about, that the three of us are talking about, requires that you wrap yourself 
in mm. kindness and gentleness so and self-compassion. Because that. if you do it with a bat, you're pushing yourself back into the dungeon. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. In order to levitate up, you got to burn the bat, throw it out. Yeah, that's, that's so good. good. I feel like that's, um, it's so... I love um, this analogy of the dungeon too. I know so the dungeon. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, it's so good. <laughs> but how commonplace it is for us to speak so unkindly to ourselves. And oh, I feel so like the most transformational work begins when we start to even just ask a question around that voice. Like, is this true? Do I want to believe this voice? Is it helpful? And I think that so many, uh, so many of the women I work with are, are stuck in the lie that by being self-critical, it's yeah. going to create some kind of change yeah. or it's going to will them into some kind of transformation. Yeah. But what we see over and over is when we start to shift that voice, when we start to speak kindly, it does, it does, it, um, I'm using my hand, but it, it allows us to take that elevator up uh, towards yeah. those different levels because that, that hammering self I- critic voice can be so destructive i think that uh, and i i can't speak for everyone but i know like the self-critical piece is familiar Mm. right it's what we know is maybe in a lot of ways what was modeled to us like i know the way that my my mother spoke about herself was not healthy and so like that was modeled to me it wasn't kind yeah you know and it's nothing that's she did wrong. She just didn't know any better. And then I think for a lot of us, like self-criticism is so familiar. Mm-hmm. It's safe, yes. even though it's not necessarily conducive to getting us to where we want to be in life. Yeah. It's safe and it's familiar. Yeah, and that familiar familiarity feels it's, true. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what kind of dog do we have? Hi, Betty. She's a puppy. She's a box of Rottweiler. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. That's Caleb's dream right now. She never barks. No, it's okay. She's excited. <laughs> but she just, yeah, she's so agreeing she just with the self-compassion. She is. She's, she's agreeing a, with the self-kindness, self-loving talk. <laughs> it's okay. No. That's um, so good. I want to, I want to comment on that because I think it's so important. Um, I have an article that I wrote, uh, possibility lies on the other side of your comfort zone. Mm. Mm. That's good. And familiar, even if it's bad, there's a comfort in familiar. And yes. so, so often, and you probably find this too with your clients, you get them and they get it. They, they their, their awareness is there, their acceptance is there. And now they're right up against the edge of their comfort zone. And it's like, there's nothing else to talk about. You have to Take a leap, step through the comfort zone and trust that you're going to be better on the other side of yeah. it. And that's Absolutely. that that trusting, that moving away from familiar, as scary as it is, is the best thing that you can do when familiar isn't healthy. I love yes. that. It's so good. What is your dog's name? Izzy. Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> wants, it's so good. He wants to be a part. I know. Um, Karen, this has been so yes. insightful. This has been so, so wonderful. Great. I love that you're working in a space that um, that does it does carry a lot of grief and pain and it feels it just feels like life is over. Yeah, like, ending for life people. is ending. But for the work that you're doing, it's like no, it's a fresh new beginning, mm-hmm. and it could be better than ever. Mm-hmm. And people say like, God, like we are we are at our ugliest and sloppiest yeah. going through a divorce. And what why why would you choose to work with that audience? And I said I I. I get to meet people who literally have no hope and they, Mm. they hold on to my words as the only starting point. And then I get to see them emerge. Let's talk about, you know, a Phoenix rising. I mean, they get to emerge and they're just incredible. And so the gratitude that me and my team have 
um, to have the opportunity to come alongside, thank you, Izzy, to come alongside these individuals and support them in finding their best next chapter is just, it's uh, it, its just the greatest gift that there is for us to be able to do that. It's so beautiful. It's so good. It really is the promise of death. So I've got uh, one last question. Um, if you could gift only one book for the rest of your life, what would that book be? Wow. (laughs) Given the conversation we have, um, I will say that the book I gave out last year, um, The Untethered Soul Mm, by Michael Singer, it's like all of our problems are between our ears. And to me, that's such a liberating book because with such humor and the audio book, by the way, is phenomenal. I road trip and I've listened to it five times (laughs) on my cross country, I do cross country road trips. Um, He talks about that inner critic and that inner voice and how it's a liar and we listen to it all the time and it's very liberating to understand the mental chatter and to liberate yourself from it so that you can live a peaceful life. So Mm -hmm. that, that kind of touches not so much just relationships, but life Life in general. general. I love that. That's my book. I love that. Karen, we will have your, uh, all your resources, your website and all of your social channels linked in the description of this podcast. But, are there any events or courses or anything that you're doing that's coming up in the near future that you want to let people know about? Uh, there's two things I would love to uh, mention. One is we have a 12 step divorce recovery program love that. and it is not aligned with the 12 steps. It's the 12 key emotional obstacles that mm. our clients have seen. So you can do that online with a, a 90 minute monthly group coaching call. And the other thing is we offer a free one hour coaching session to anybody oh, wow. who asks. Amazing. No strings attached. It's called the rapid relief call. You can go to rapidreliefcall.com wow. and book that call and you're guaranteed to walk away with a lot of value and a really good sense of how coaching might help your situation. I love Beautiful. that rapid relief rapid call. Rapid relief. That's I good. love to hear what like amazing things people come up with. I know. It's, it's so, so cool. Good. It's so, it's so and catchy. that's exactly what our people need. They need a, yes, rapid, a rapid, rapid release. Yes. Yeah. We need it right now. Yeah. It's so good. Oh, Karen, thank you again. Thank you for your wisdom and all of the ways that you are supporting people. It's so lovely to have you. Thank you. And thank you again for what you do and you do it so well. So, so keep up the great work and congratulations. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. <laughs> and best of luck. That's such an exciting time. Thank you. Got that vibe, got that vibe, got that vibe, yeah, I ain't petty. Looking fine, looking fine, looking fine, yeah, they You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.